the analytics behind a successful cropping mix. That's what we're talking about in this edition of Cutting the Curve. Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, where we cut your learning curve with insights you can apply immediately to your farming operation. This episode is presented by Loveland Products. When it comes to crop inputs, you need products that are field proven to deliver both results and value. For more than 50 years, Loveland Products has been providing farmers with high-performance, value-driven product solutions designed to maximize productivity on every acre. Visit lovelandproducts.com to see how their innovative products can help you farm more profitably. And now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey there, welcome to another fantastic episode of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. We're talking with Matt Miles, one of the founding fathers of Extreme Ag, about something that came up just the other day. He was going through the numbers of how he's going to change his cropping mix. He's going to not plant wheat in 2024 or in 2023 for 2024 because of the numbers. And I said, is it just about the money or is there some other stuff? And he came through, said, no, there's all kinds of different things to be considered on how I'm going to set up my cropping mix. Some farmers might just do the same thing year in and year out. And did they really actually put the pencil to it? Should you put the pencil to it? Absolutely. That's what Matt Miles here talk about. So it came up because you were looking at your own situation, and then you also were uh, giving some advice to our friend Chad Henderson about maybe he should alter his cropping mix. So let's talk about your decision. You're not doing wheat. It's not just about the bushel price for wheat. It's about a couple other things. Right. Yeah. And what Chad and I were talking about that day was on specifically irrigated ground, you know, and that, and I'm a hundred percent irrigated. I'm fortunate to be that. And Chad's got probably 35% irrigation. So our, our situations are totally different uh, along with our, believe it or not, our, our weather's totally different. So, you know, just because I can do something one way, don't mean someone else, you know, we're kind of seem like an anomaly. A lot of times where we're located, you know, we've got the heat we've got the, but we do have the irrigation. You know, so some things work really well, some things don't. And, you know, wheat is just one of those things that when the price is a certain level, then it makes sense to grow it. But when it falls below that level, I can do a little better job just with full season beans because of the irrigation. Yeah. So your decision was it's not just that wheat prices are down a little bit, but you said, no, wait a minute, I can also because you're a double crop situation or you call them wheat beans, but you a lot of times have your wheat come off in what June. And then you put in your soybeans, second crop soybeans, people up here in my part of the world don't really do that. There's a, it's happened sometimes you usually don't make out. So you've got a different set of circumstances there. And the average person would say, if you can double crop, I don't know how it still doesn't make you more money. In other words, if you can grow wheat, take it off in June, put in soybeans, take them off in October, I don't know how that doesn't make you more money. And you're saying, well, a, soul, a full season soybean that goes in the ground in February or March 1st might make me 10 more bushels. And that alone doesn't seem to be enough, though. That's 120 more bucks uh, at, at uh, $12 bushels. That doesn't seem enough to justify not also getting the wheat crop. Well, when you get to the, so it's, it, it's a 90% guarantee that we're going to make 15 bushels more on our full season beans than we are double crop beans. It's, it's, I mean, I've proven that year after year that I've grown wheat. So, at, so it's at, not 10 bushels, it's 15 bushels first off. So there's, you know, now you're, now you're talking to uh, 180 bucks instead of 120 bucks. So that, that starts to add to it. Yes. 
Right, it does, and 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 then it depends on what the wheat numbers are. So if we're looking at, uh, you know, like last year, I had wheat that I contracted from the previous year. I sold it for ten bucks. You know, this year, looking at the wheat price today, it's going to be somewhere around six fifty. So it's all it's forty percent less revenue on the wheat. So if I can make fifteen bushel better beans, and and then there's the aggravation part of the wheat beans for me. So with furrow irrigation. You know, we've got 180 wells. It takes two men, you know, ever 15, 20 wells to to monitor those during the year. So you're trying to do that at the same time you're trying to harvest wheat, get the ground prepared, and plant beans behind it. So it's it's a very limiting factor for me outside of just the difference in the revenue as to, you know, what we're doing at that time of year when that has to happen. And there's about a 90% chance I'd say 80% chance that we're going to have to irrigate those soybeans up. When we're planting beans in June, if we're fur irrigating other crops, we're too dry to plant beans. So the only way to get moisture to that bean is to either water the bed before you plant it or plant them and then water it, which is about an 80% success rate on that also. Okay, so the early beans, so there's a bunch of things. Again, I like this. It's the, it's the analytics that behind the cropping mix decision. You're going to get 15 more bushels if I do a full season bean by planting it because wasn't it last year you did you did something crazy you planted it in February. Grant, you're yes. in the Delta. If you're just tuning in, you've never tuned in. Matt's in the Delta region of Southeast Arkansas. It's flat as a pancake. Everything's irrigated, uh, and also you can start farming earlier down there than let's say if you're in Nebraska. So anyway, you you're capitalizing on winter moisture so that's what you're saying there is the aggravation 180 wells across all your farm ground to be monitored you don't have to be turning on the spigot in march because you've got winter moisture so you're you're getting as opposed to planting not there in june you've got to do it immediately because there's no moisture to be had yeah we get actually probably i mean we get about 56 inches annual rainfall and uh the majority of that's in the spring and the winter so when you know it looks like we get a lot of rainfall which we do but a lot of times we'll get four or five inches in the spring and zero in june july and august so that's that's kind of the caveat with us on on how the moisture comes and and we can there's there's never been a time in my career that i didn't have enough moisture to plant my spring crop there's been very few times in my career that i had enough moisture to plant my double crop so there we go having to irrigate that up. And and that's, you know, they used to say you couldn't irrigate beans up, flat irrigate beans up. We've learned how to do that, but it's still about an 80, 85% success rate of getting the stand that you desire. Well, yeah, what's interesting is uh, the, the, the water's down in the furrow and the seed is up on the top of the thing. So it's got a long way to go to get to the water. It, you gotta, it's in June. Yeah, you've got to wick it up. So you know, that's a whole nother process. And if you let it stay on the, on the, on the, you know, non-germinated seed too long with the 95 degree temperatures, it'll, it'll rot it. You know, right. and that's one thing that we've seen is if you're going to irrigate beans up, so our soil temperature will be somewhere between 90 and 95 that time of year, soil temperature. So you're putting a bean, just like if you cover yourself up with 95 degree sand, you can imagine what it's going to do to you till you get your, your head out of the sand yeah. same thing with soybean so it's laying there in a in an extremely hot situation then you put the water on it well as you're irrigating those beans up if you get any kind of rain from above yep. it's going to rot them i mean i did it this year right okay so the analytics there are because now the person that listens says 
well, maybe you just shouldn't do double crop beans. That's not what you're saying at all. Let's go back to the money because you analyzed it from the money and from the manpower and from the management standpoint. Uh, if if wheat if wheat were a dollar more a bushel, you would probably say I'm going to still do some double crop, right? Yeah, a certain portion of it, a dollar to maybe two dollars. It's gonna, you know. Of course, I'm lazy, so. You know, I'm, I'm, it, wheat looks really cool in the winter when you're through with your other crop. You've got these big wide drills and you go out there and you, you drill you about 800 to 1,000 acres of it. And then you're like, oh shit, now I've got to plant beans behind this when I'm trying to do all these other things. The money will vary, but we have more money in a double crop bean than we do in a full season bean. You know, down here we've got more insects and the insects come in later. That's the advantages of early planted soybean. We don't spray for worms any, I say any, 95% of the time we don't spray for worms on our full season beans because a worm likes to land and lay its eggs in a non-canopied situation. Well, by the time the worm flight gets here, we're canopied on our early beans. So they, where are they going to go? They're going to go to the double crop beans and the late planted beans. That's where you're going to have your worm sprayings. Irrigation, you know, I was looking at this with Chad earlier. And and like I said, we probably need to talk about Chad's situation because it's totally different, even though we're fairly close. We're both in the south. But you know, I'll at least have one more irrigation in those soybeans. Cause if I'm if I'm not irrigating them up, the minute I get them up, I've got to irrigate them. Yeah, you right. Know? So <clears throat> so the thing is, and and you talk about the money, there's not really your water, you're not paying for water, but you're paying to run the pumps. And you're paying to have the people monitor and manage it. So it's not like the water has a cost, but the the uh, getting Energy. the water, getting the water, and and managing it has a, has a cost. All right. So Chad's dry land, except he's about two thirds dry land, one third irrigated. And you were uh, he was doing what what we're all about, extreme ag. <clears throat> you were comparing information and and. And, and opinions on how to do something. And you said, I think you should just probably go with full season beans and not do the wheat. <clears throat> and he said, well, under irrigation, you know, but we started talking about non-irrigation. If he went with full season beans and no wheat. So in, you're pretty much guaranteed a wheat crop, you know, you plant it in the winter, yeah. you're going to get moisture. You're going to get normally get the weather that you need to make wheat. So you're pretty much guaranteed a wheat crop because of when you plant it down here. Yep. You're not guaranteed a soybean crop on dry land. I mean, I've literally had my yield monitor say yield is too low to read on dry land soybeans. You know, we've made anywhere from like this year specifically, we would have probably made five to 15 bushel acre, probably more in the five range with the, because of the late weather we had, mm -hmm. Dad made 50 plus. Yeah. And so he's able to do that. His weather's a little bit different. And he's got the and he's got the wheat crop. If I was dry land, I would ha I would have to plant wheat. There would be no choice. Well, that's because you're going to give because you guarantee revenue. But yeah, right. the idea you're saying in your part of the world, if you're not irrigated, if it's dry land, is that a full season bean that still only gets you five bushels? Oh yeah, yeah. Anytime you plant them, depending on the weather. Now I have made the the highest I've ever made on a dry land bean in my life in my career is 50 bushel. And I thought I'd set the world on fire. You know, yeah, making, right. our, our weather patterns changed some. Uh, if you got a dry land bean in, when I plant my full season beans, 
you're probably looking at 20 to 25 bushel. This year wouldn't have been that, you know I mean? So it's very risky on what you're going to get. Well, Chad's going to get that wheat crop no matter what. And then he's going to come back and get a bean crop. If he plants his beans and he, they just completely burn up, well, then he, he can stop at some point in time, say, this is all the money I'm going to spend on. Right. <clears throat> you know, so, and, and another thing too is we're 95% share rent. So, so the landowner is going to get 25% of the beans and 25% of the wheat. So if, and they're going to get 25% of the full season beans. If your cash rent, you're paying X amount of dollars an acre, that's fixed. Yeah. No matter what you plant. So that's another place where I, I lose money, you know, when I'm doing wheat and beans is there's a share rent on both crops. Yeah, right. So the person that's paying cash rent, uh, if you get two crops or or Chad likes to talk about getting three crops in two years, and that's yep. right. You get three crops in two years and you only paid cash rent twice. So basically one of those crops, you didn't have to pay cash rent for it. So there's there's an absolute analytics on that. Tell me about other ways you look at your analytics behind a successful cropping mix. Um, because this is just talking about wheat and, and beans. I want to know if there's other stuff before you do tell me that I want to remind the listeners about money and fertility. You want to save money on fertility without sacrificing yield. Why don't you harvest last season's nutrients for next season's crops using extract from Loveland products. Go to lovelandproducts.com to learn more. Loveland products, great products like extract Titan Terramar, which is helping you with stress. Go check out lovelandproducts.com. Anyway, so this is the, the equation you keep using on the wheat and the soybeans. And so you've, you've already made your decision. You just told the guys, I've got wheat treat, I've got seed treatment for wheat. <clears throat> I'll, I'll send it to you. I'm not doing any wheat next year. You made the decision. Is there anything that would happen? Here we are recording this the third week of October. Is there anything that would happen between now and Thanksgiving? Now and Thanksgiving, where you say, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm going to go and put, if wheat ran up two bucks somehow crazy, I don't know, war in Russia, would you say, oh, oh I'm changing? And could you still do it? Yeah, I could probably would be a little late. Uh, I would like to make that decision by November the 15th. We have to plant later anyway because of what they call barley yellow dwarf, which is the aphids basically getting on the wheat in the early stages of the year when it's still warm. And then it just, it, it puts a virus in that plant. I know you've talked to Johnny Varell about that, you know, before. <clears throat> so, um, you know, we have, we have to be later anyway. Now you get past November 15th, that price would have to be, you know, pretty good, probably at least $2 for me to do that. Now I, and I'm very, I don't know what word to use. I, I want not, I'm not going to use the word I want to use. I'm very specific about my rotation. We're, we're blessed to have, you know, multiple crops we can grow and we've got yield robbers and we've got yield enhancers. Corn, for instance, is, you know, gives back to the soil. Cotton takes away from the soil and beans kind of sits there and just depends on what temperament it, it's in at the time. So I like to rotate those three crops when I can, you know, and, and price dictates that some I'm going to, I'm never, I'm not going to say never, I try not to ever put the same crop in the same field again, where there's a lot of corn on corn in the Midwest and beans on beans down here. You know, I've got certain soil types that I've got beans on beans, but for the most part, 95% of my farm is going to be rotated of those three crops, at least corn and beans, 
And then when cotton's advantageous, I pull that in also. Well, from a fertility standpoint, it makes sense. From a parasite and disease uh, tolerance or management standpoint, it makes sense. And if from a manage from just a management stance, it might make it a little bit harder. By the way, your rice, you don't do rice on rice, do you? Yes, I do. My 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 main rice farm is continuous rice. It's been continuous rice for 25 years. I haven't that had that. And that doesn't present a disease or parasite issue? So it presents a huge weed problem. <laughs> uh, this land was leveled into zero grade yeah. years ago because that looked like the thing to do. Yeah. And today, I think some of these guys that leveled that land wish they had a little bit of fall in it where they could rotate it to other crops. So couldn't you? You still couldn't just go in there and stick in soybeans one year? It's about like growing it in a pond. So, I mean... You know, <laughs> okay. like wet feet. So, I mean, in their bigger fields, you can do it on small fields. If you got 20, 30 acres, zero grade fields, we rotate those into, into other grains. Yeah. But if you've got big fields like this, this farm's a mile by two miles wide awesome. and they're, they're 80 acre fields. So it, it just don't work well. Yeah, right. So the analytics behind success, you said you're very uh, specific or even particular might be uh, the, the word you're looking for about how you go about doing this. You want to make sure there's rotation. Um, what are the other factors when you look at analyzing what your cropping mix is going to be? Absolutely price. I mean, you know, we know what our we know what our break even points are on each crop. For instance, last year, and it, it'll bite you in the butt sometimes. Last year, I reduced my cotton acres by about 800 acres right mm -hmm. at the last like two weeks before planting time boom i took 800 acres out and put in soybeans because the roi was better than soybeans it still today was better than soybeans i mean it was still soybeans were better but not enough if i had to go back again and i could do it again with the yields on the cotton we had and the way the pr price ended up i probably would have left that in there just for rotation purposes it would have been a slight slightly less roi yep it keeps my rotation going where I need it to be. Okay, so price is obviously the most important thing. Uh, location does location matter? I mean, you you you're spread out a little bit. Chad's way spread out. Johnny Varell spread. My God, uh, you look at his map; he's all over the place. Does location then determine anything about cropping mix? Not. So what we try to do is we try to group our whatever we're growing in 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 two spots. So we've got two main spots twenty miles from each other. So I'm going to have some, just say, let's use cotton. <clears throat> this year, I only grew cotton down south, you know, simply because I didn't grow enough acres. And, and we try to lump those acres in a certain area. It may be in two areas, 20 miles apart, but we try to adjoin, do the adjoining fields. It makes it way more efficient rather than you've got a 40 over here and 200 over here. You drive six miles to, and then nine miles over here to do another 220 you know, we try to keep those in blocks and our landowners work with us really good to do that. Speaking of your landowners, you told me once that because you do stuff on shares uh, with the, the land that you don't own yourself, that they always wanted cotton because cotton was king. Cotton was the cash king. Cotton made more money. How do you manage that? The analytics of cropping mix, it seems to me that every one of your landlords would be saying, Matt, you can do whatever you want as long as you plant cotton. But that was that's not what happens. No, that was the case up until we started getting four dollars. When we in two thousand and seven, I think it was, we started getting four dollar corn, and and ten dollar beans. Mm -hmm. You know, prior to that, we were 
five dollar beans and i don't even know what corn was i didn't even grow it i didn't keep up with it yeah well there's a long time there's a long time where there's a long time where corn was in the low twos uh and everybody just thought that was where it was going to stay but then uh, obviously the ethanol situation helped that quite a bit yeah you planted your corn for the first time in 07 you told me yeah that's right so we're relatively you know early corn growing people but yeah you know back then the grain prices were so low on the good high productive ground there wasn't a lot of choice so a lot of these landowners either own GNs or own portions of GNs or, you know, I had one landowner passed away and left the, <clears throat> the ground to his to his uh, children. And before he passed, and this was back when his statement was true then, whatever you do, make sure we plant cotton on that good ground. That was on his deathbed. Okay. Fast forward that 10 years, cotton's not profitable to talk those siblings out of cotton when their dad right. was on the deathbed. I mean, it's yeah. a, it's a, almost a political type deal in agriculture. Right, right, right. Well, we don't, we don't manage, we don't manage that up here. Thank goodness. Um, the analytics behind a successful cropping mix. So you, you went with the Chad, you ran his numbers. What's your advice to somebody when they say, I'm not sure I'm doing as good a job. I think it would be reluctant. Just like those siblings that wouldn't, didn't even want to think about going against what, what daddy told them to do. I think that a lot of farmers are going to be reluctant to even question their cropping mix because they are convinced, you know, they, it's like, Oh, I'm sure I must be doing it right. This is what I've always done, but there probably is money. They might be leaving on the table. So what's your advice on how to go about doing that? Just, just run the numbers. I mean, run the numbers. You always, it's all a mathematical equation in, in agriculture. You way. think that, okay, let me ask you this about the numbers. Do you think that most guys really do know their cost of production? Because I hear that at ag means all the time. Know your cost of production, know your cost of production. And you say, well, my cost of production is going to vary with yield. You know, that's the first excuse. My cost of production on uh, on a on an 80 bushel soybean crop is a hell of a lot less than uh, my cost of production on a 60 bushel yield of uh, soybeans. Yeah, well, I mean, it. In, in, in all honesty, your cost of production, you're going to have a yield goal. And so you're going to have that number in there. You're going to have that number plugged in there for that yield go. And, and you got to look at the numbers, you know, 10 years, I would say this 10 years ago, farmers, probably all most farmers didn't know their total cost production. And it's a moving target. I, that's why yeah. I got on the phone with Chad prior to this podcast yeah. to just hear my numbers are right, you know, because I've got them, Sherry gives them to me, but there's so many things you can tweak on those especially when you're looking at a double crop situation. Do you charge the labor to the wheat? Do you charge the labor to the to the beans? You know, do you charge your fertility to the wheat? Do you charge it to the beans? Do you split right. it up? Right. Do you, do you use your fixed cost for both crops or one crop? So right. it depends on how you're looking at that. But specifically where I'm going with that, 10 years ago, I knew my cost production less than I do today. If you're in agriculture today and you're a successful farmer, either you or someone in your operation or you, your accountant knows your cost of production to a certain degree, or you wouldn't still be here today. Right. Now, is it perfect? No. Is mine perfect? Absolutely not. Right. I'll be like, Oh yeah, I didn't, maybe I, I spent 20 more dollars or 40 more dollars than I thought. Mm -hmm. It depends. And, and some farmers, you know, and, and I do this all the time. You justify what you want to do. You know, corn, corn, for instance, next year, don't look that good, you know, at the prices it is today. Of course, we can get five, five and a quarter for next year's crop right now. But two a month ago, you know, we're looking in the mid fours, right? 
So you say, okay, there's no way I can grow corn at these prices. Right. Corn will absolutely give me a guaranteed five bushel an acre increase on my soybeans the following year. Mm -hmm. Probably going to be more like the seven to eight range. Mm -hmm. You've got to take that number. It's kind of like growing catfish down here. You're not going to get all your money that year. You may get some of it the next year. Yeah. And you've got to, when I'm figuring corn, I add bushels to my beans. I add, I add money there that I'm going to, that I'm going to make the next year off my beans if I'm still farming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, I like that. It, it's attributing it's neat to say know your cost of production down to the penny well sometimes where do you attribute like you said where do you attribute some of these fixed costs uh and especially when you got double crop situation all right so obviously know your numbers as best you can analytics behind a successful cropping mix what about selling do you say well you know what the reason i'm making this cropping mix is because i sold for i've got stuff sold for 2025 do you do does that part of the equation Oh yeah, I grew wheat this year because I had it booked for ten dollars. Yeah, had I had the wheat already booked from the previous year for ten dollars, I wouldn't have grown it. I mean, this past wheat crop that I harvested, and I just harvested my double crop beans on, that wouldn't have been wheat had I not already had it booked. So that's another place you got to be careful. Yep. You know, look into the when you book into the next year, you've got to be prepared to plant that much crop. Yeah. Or, Write a check for the difference in the market if it's if it's lower than it was when you when you when you made it. Another thing too, going into that crop mix and what you're going to do you, in your analytics, it's like I said, it's eighty percent ROI, but there's also an equipment efficiency factor. You know, you take a picker for instance, you're going to use it on one crop. Yeah. You know, you take a combine, multiple crops. So, uh, by the way, by the way, for you non-cotton people, he's talking about a cotton picker. I was just down there at the beginning of this month. I saw a cotton picker for the first time, uh, and uh, the most expensive piece of equipment on Miles Farm, and it's only capable of doing one thing: picking cotton. Yeah. So, all your equipment efficiency, you can make money or lose money there. Also, when you're looking at a rotation, you know, your planters is the same planter that plants your corn going to plant your beans. You know, in the Midwest, everybody basically uses the same planter for both. Mm -hmm. We've got a twin row planter for grain and we've got a single row planter for, for cotton. So, you know, some of that, you've got to be able to justify. I'll give you a prime example. You know, we run at least one round bell picker. And theoretically, we need 1,500 acres to service that $900,000 picker. So if I purchase that picker, I'm committed to the 1,500 acres of cotton. Now, this year... I did the math on it versus the beans. I could make the additional cotton picker payment and still make more money and have less troubles by going with the soybeans. So it all goes back to the math, but it's not just yield and price you sell it for. It's all your other efficiencies on your farm. Well, I usually maximizing the usage of a piece of equipment, but you're saying that this year you didn't even do 1500 acres of cotton, which you normally would because you determined that your, um, you're still money ahead to not fully utilize the cotton picker because soybeans made you better money. Because of the price of soybeans at the time of planting. Yeah. Now that backfired a little bit on me. You know, I probably time, but time I've, I actually worked a deal out with a picker where it worked for me, but in a normal situation, if you didn't have, if you didn't have that option, <clears throat> you've got to make sure you cover the cost of that machine sitting there. You, you got insurance on it and, yep. and, uh, Pay and, and a equipment payment on it and interest on it, no matter if you run it or not. 
I don't know if a lot of farmers uh, really look at fully maximizing their equipment because they love machinery. You know what I mean? Uh, we we love we love the the shiny machinery, but uh, that's that's one that maybe there's probably some efficiencies to be gained on that one. So, all right, we talked about location. We talked about maximizing your manpower, whether it's just you or whether you got hired hands. We talked about uh, then the resources. The water, if you're a double crop thing, that's a that's a big situation right there on double crop, which is going to definitely uh, appeal more to people that are uh, right south of the Ohio River. Um, anything else on the analytics behind a successful cropping mix? That pretty much wraps it up, I think. I think that's good. So uh, if you have a question about this, the thing that you can do, if you are a Extreme Ag member, you can reach out to Matt. You know, you pay $750 a year to become a member. 750 bucks, that's it. 750 bucks. If you're a if you're if you're a 750 acre farmer, that's a dollar an acre. And what you get from your membership is direct access. You could actually get on the horn and call up Matt and say, hey, you know what? I have a question and I want to make sure I'm running these numbers right. It's just a sounding board. 750 bucks a year if you want to be a member. You know what? You don't have to be a member. You can watch hundreds of videos just like this. I have literally recorded hundreds of these cutting the podcast and also the filming of videos that we do out in the field i was down in arkansas we filmed dozens of videos that you can go and see at extremeag.farm i encourage you to do that his name is matt miles wearing his hat farming clock in at age five and never clock out it's one of my favorites i'm damian mason thanks for being here until next time share this with somebody that can use it it's extreme ags cutting the curve thank you that's a wrap for this episode of extreme ags cutting the curve but there is plenty more available by visiting extremeag.farm for over 50 years, farmers have turned to the proven lineup of crop inputs offered by Loveland Products. From seed treatments, plant nutrition, adjuvant, and crop protection products, Loveland has the complete lineup to keep your farming operation productive and most importantly, profitable. Check out lovelandproducts.com to learn more.